When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello again, fellow flyers. Welcome to the Plane Crash Podcast. This is your captain of the podcast, Michael Bauer. Thank you for joining us today for our third episode. We've made it to three episodes, and we're happy about that. Today, we're going to be discussing the events and details surrounding Helios Airways Flight 522 that was scheduled to fly from the island of Cyprus to Athens, Greece on August 14th, 2005. Before we get into that, I'd like to introduce the guests that will be joining us today. First, we have a comedian, guitarist, host of the very funny podcast, Incompatible with Cat and Michael, my good old pal, Michael Rogilio. Thank you for having me again. How's it going, Mr. Rogilio? Very good, thanks. Did you have a good week? Anything you'd like to share with us? Uh, I did have a good week, but unfortunately, nothing of note. Just an overall enjoyable week. A good week for Michael Rogilio. We're all happy for him. Thank you. Uh, We also have on the podcast today a Grammy Award-winning producer, engineer, musician, all-around quality human being, Sheldon Gomberg. Well, hello, Mr. Bauer. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? Fantastic. Thanks for asking. Did you have a good week, and did you learn anything this week that you'd like to share with the listeners? Uh, no. The stuff that I learned is um, I can't discuss it with anybody. It's top secret. It's best to keep those kinds of things private. He's got a advanced copy of the Mueller report. Oh, yeah? That should be interesting. I, I actually... I was doing some of the editing on that for him. So, I, yeah. Well, you are a man that's in demand, and we're happy that you joined us today. I like to point out each episode that I'm not a pilot. I haven't received any education in the field of aeronautics. I'm slowly learning more and more about air travel through the research I've been doing and hope to continue learning as I go. This podcast isn't meant to be insensitive towards those who are involved in or have been affected by these air tragedies. I just find plane accidents and the details surrounding why they happen to be of interest. And that's what we do here, is discuss the details, wonder why things occurred the way they occurred, and hope that the people designing and operating planes are taking lessons away from each of these accidents. Hopefully making air travel more safe for all of us in the present and in the future. Before we get into the Helios flight from 2005... I thought we should note at the top of the podcast today that unfortunately, a few days ago, we had another commercial plane crash involving a Boeing 737 MAX 8 plane. Ethiopian Airlines Flight 302 crashed six minutes after taking off from Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, en route to Nairobi, Kenya, on Sunday, March 10th, 2019. 157 people were on board. The Boeing 737 MAX 8 plane is a brand new plane from the airline manufacturer Boeing, a supposed upgrade from the 737NG or Next Generation. Our last episode was on the Lion Air Flight 610, 
which was also a Boeing 737 MAX 8 plane that crashed 13 minutes after takeoff from Jakarta, Indonesia in October 2018. That plane is suspected to have crashed due to issues with a new flight control system called MCAS. This new system is meant to push the nose of the plane down if it senses from flight information that the plane's nose is pitched up too high or that the plane is on the verge of a stall. Now, new planes don't typically crash, so this is striking everybody in the world of aviation as highly unusual. Seems like there's an issue here with these new 737 MAX 8 planes. The similarities between the two crashes are there as well. Weather was clear for both flights. Both flights were basically brand new planes. Both were 737 MAX 8 planes, and both flights went into a nosedive shortly after takeoff. A number of airlines grounded their 737 MAX 8 fleets until an investigation has been completed and they can be sure that their planes are safe to fly. The airlines that have grounded their 737 MAX 8 planes include Ethiopian, Fiji Airways, Lion Air, Air China, Lucky Air, Cayman Airways, Norwegian Airlines, just to name a few. A number of airlines such as Southwest, American, and Air Canada are still flying their 737 MAX 8 planes. Southwest has 34 of these planes. American Airlines has 24. Last week, 8,500 flights worldwide were flown on MAX 8 planes. Boeing put out a statement that they're working on a flight control software enhancement for the 737 MAX designed to make an already safe aircraft even safer. One thing that I also learned today, actually, is that this upgrade that they are going to install on all their 737 MAXs has been delayed for five weeks. It was supposed to happen in March, but it's been pushed to the end of April. And does anybody know why this this could have occurred? The answer is that the government shutdown delayed this upgrade to planes that we're all flying on. So hopefully politicians are happy with their political points that they scored by having a government shutdown. It seems like this could have possibly affected us in the real world. Um, Boeing stock plummeted Monday morning following news of the crash. United States Senators Dianne Feinstein, Elizabeth Warren, and Richard Blumenthal called for all 737 MAX 8 planes to be temporarily grounded pending investigation of the Ethiopian's airlines crash. So the rollout for Boeing's new plane, it's a 737 MAX 8, has not been good to say the least. What do you guys think? Uh, well, when the news of this crash uh, first hit the airwaves, I was I was I was shocked because it was the, the the topic that we covered last week, and and it did sound really similar to what we discussed last week, which was um, that it, as as you told us last week that Boeing had made it so that the the part of the package deal in order to keep costs down was that no new training would be required, that the 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 system upgrades were similar enough to the older version that the pilots would already have an inherent understanding of how to operate the plane. Mm-hmm. We thought that it, with the Lion Air crash that we discussed last week, that might have been an issue, that there was actually with the stall um, prevention software or whatever you were talking about, mm-hmm. the MCAS. that it was, yeah, the MCAS, that it was a different procedure for, for pulling out of a stall and that that might have been an issue. And when I first heard about this crash, there was talk of something similar to that. So it, it, it did strike me as we might have another instance of the same problem with the plane. 
as we had uh, last year with the yeah, Lion Air, so it, it shocked me. You would think that everybody's got the memo on this. I mean, if you're a professional air pilot and you're flying these Air Max 8s, there's only 350 of them in the world. If you're going to fly these, you were paying attention. If you're a pilot, you're definitely paying attention. And you would have figured they got the memo on how to deal with this. So it makes me think... I don't know what the deal is. Apparently, they said that the plane was smoking it was it was going down. So that points to something maybe possibly other than just the autopilot going awry. But I think they also have said that the flight speed, the altitude was off. It crashed six minutes after takeoff. It seems like there's a lot of similarities. There was no bad weather. Uh, it's, it's a brand new plane. This isn't supposed to happen. I mean, there's only 350 of them out there. And two of them have crashed into the earth in a very similar way. So you have a probability of one in 175, which is not very good odds when you're getting on a plane wanting to go somewhere. Yeah. I would, uh, it would be interesting to see when the report comes out if it, if it is the same piece of gear that they've added to this. Uh, the MCAS thing. MCAS, yeah. And if it is, I mean, then definitely they're going to have to you know do training for everybody yeah i mean they're at a odd place i mean right now currently they have 5111 of these planes on order from airlines and they've delivered 350 of them the cost of one of these planes is 121.6 million dollars so if you do the math they have 605 billion dollars in pending sales people that have bought these planes have put in an order for these planes and their rollout has been less than glorious, obviously. Um, people are scared of flying them. If you go online, you can see people are questioning Southwest Airlines and American Airlines saying, the flight I bought is scheduled to be a MAX 8. What do I do? And the standard response is, oh, our planes are all safe. Um, this is just a – we won't know more information until the investigation is complete. But I personally would have pause knowing that one out of 175 of these planes are going down. That's not good enough odds for me. I like the one in 16 million odds of 2017 commercial flight. I think if people people were to ask what plane they were about to board, and if it turned out that it was that plane, if people refused to go on it, they would... uh... Yeah. They either are having horrible, horrible luck, which, you know, could happen, or something's wrong with the planes, and they don't want to acknowledge it. It seems like they already are acknowledging it, because they're saying, hey, we have this upgrade. I thought a very interesting aspect to the story is the fact that this gamesmanship in the political realm delayed something we need on these planes to make planes safer for five weeks a lot of the time they say hey it's a government shutdown all you need to do is you can't go to the national park not a good time to go to washington dc you can't go to the lincoln memorial boohoo they sell it to you as though lives aren't really being impacted but this seems like an instance that these planes are flying in the sky right now and they don't have the best information to fly because and then they're in a five-week delay because of that because of this government shutdown that struck me as whoa that's a big deal it's interesting you should say that because on that note and this is something obviously that we'd have to look into in uh in future episodes but does boeing receive government subsidies this is a question i would have to what degree what kind of tax incentives are they given what kind of subsidies are they given to what degree are they actually I imagine, I don't know for sure, but I imagine an American company wants to buy a plane. There's probably an incentive for them to buy a Boeing plane compared to Airbus. Maybe Airbus has some sort of tariff or there's some sort of tax benefit for Boeing. But $600 billion is a lot of money. I think the American economy does about 
$20 trillion a year in GDP. Mm -hmm. So if you have 600 billion, that's like one thirty third of the sales that we do in an entire year. So it's in the American government's best interest. It's in Boeing's best interest to not have issues. I don't think they had bad intentions. I think they thought this MCAS system would make things safer, but evidently that hasn't been the case. Well, I will point out that last week we discussed that uh, in order to cut down on costs that they had said that the training wouldn't be necessary with the new equipment. Mm -hmm. uh, And that this is the conclusion I'm coming to, and it's it's not a very informed uh, conclusion, but that perhaps training was in fact very necessary. Yeah. So you know, maybe some design issues. One thing that one thing that I couldn't put together is the old 737. If you had something called runaway stabilizer trim, which meant your stabilizer was pushing the nose down, you could grab the control column, pull it towards you, and it would cancel out the electricity, cancel out the order. That doesn't happen on these planes now. I don't know. No, I haven't read anything. No one has said anything to say this is the benefit of ch- making that change. It seems foolish to change that unless there's some reason that they had to change that. Because I imagine in a panicky situation, if you're flying a plane, your brain's not working completely right. If something stressful happens, and maybe you just revert to you know what you've done ninety percent of the time when you're flying this particular plane. So. Yeah. Um, two Max 8 Turkish airline flights were en route to the UK today from Istanbul, and both planes were forced to turn around halfway through their journey. They were both above Germany, and they had to turn and go back to Istanbul because the UK closed their airspace to Max 8 planes. Once the Turkish Airlines planes landed in Istanbul, Turkish Airlines suspended usage of its Max 8 planes and the EU just a few hours ago shut down its airspace to Max 8 planes. Max 8 planes are basically only being flown right now in Canada and the United States. One Greek man named Antonis Mavropoulos was booked for Ethiopian Airlines Flight 302. He had a connecting flight that day that arrived close to Flight 302's boarding time. He ran through the airport in an effort to get on board of the, the Flight 302 but arrived at the gate a few minutes after the gate had closed. He said he saw some passengers behind the gate boarding the plane, and he talked to the flight attendant, or talked to the gate attendant that was there, and said, hey, can't you let me on? I'm just a couple minutes late. And they like said, sorry, sir, we can't let you pass the gate. Uh, we can help you get a flight later in the day. So he missed that flight, and he was interviewed, and he's a lucky man that he was running a few minutes late. This is why I, uh, I'm late for everything. That's you know saved my life yeah it just is a strange one decision one plane showing up a little bit later and this guy's got the rest of his life to look forward to there were stories like that about 9-11 too yeah people that didn't make it into work on 9-11 and stuff like that you know yeah that saved their lives i guess it just makes you evaluate and appreciate your life and uh you know, the petty things that we all get upset about go out the window if you have a circumstance unfold like that. Makes me wonder, has anyone in this room ever had a scary experience on a plane where they thought maybe some, some issue was happening, that something was going down, so to speak? I didn't realize it, and I think I was just so young. I didn't really fly until I was 16 years old. And when I was 20 years old, I flew to Australia, and I was going to study there for six months. So I bought a ticket to fly once I got to Australia from Sydney to Newcastle, which was only 90 miles, but I was just a kid and I didn't know any better. So I was like, oh, I guess instead of taking a train or a bus or, you know, getting a ride, I'll book an air flight. So I got on this really small plane 
and it was a very short flight. You know, it was like 15, 20 minutes. But when we came and landed the plane, we hit the runway and the plane shot back up into the sky and came down again. And it was like you were on a roller coaster. And that, you know, 10 seconds between us hitting the ground, bouncing up and coming back down, I was, you know, panicking. And was they, it a bounce? Was that what happened? Yeah, it bounced? Uh, we bounced. Uh, I would say maybe there was 10 passengers on the plane. We hit the ground, bounce up, and bounce came back down and landed. And the pilot was Australian, and he said, I'm sorry that a kangaroo hopped the landing. And I was like 20, and I was I, I this was probably the third or fourth flight I'd ever been on. I was like, oh, that must be something that happens. And as an adult, uh, having had 100 flights under my belt now, I realized that that was highly unusual. Yeah. How about you? No, no, never anything, uh, you know, some turbulence that uh, gave me a good scare. But looking back, it was pretty tame. We'll keep an eye on the investigation of Ethiopian Airlines Flight 302 and give you an update once we have more information. Now, today we're going to take a look at the details and events surrounding Helios Airways Flight 522 which was scheduled to fly from the city of Larnaca on the island of Cyprus to Athens, Greece, on the morning of August 14th, 2005. From Athens, the plane was scheduled to continue on that day to Prague. The flight had two pilots, four flight attendants for a total crew of six, and 115 passengers for a total of 121 human beings on board. The plane was a Boeing 737-300 that was originally flown by a low-cost European airline called DBA. That was headquartered in Munich, Germany. The DBA stood for Deutsche British Airways because British Airways owned a 49% stake in the company. The plane first flew with DBA on December 29, 1997, and eventually Helios Airways acquires the plane, and it becomes part of the Helios fleet on April 16, 2004. So the plane's about seven and a half years old. Our two pilots for the flight were Hans-Jürgen Merton, a 59-year-old German man. He was captain of the flight, had 35 years of experience, and had almost 17,000 flight hours. So he was a very experienced pilot. His first officer in the cockpit was Pampus Charlumbus. He was a 51-year-old pilot from Cyprus, had over 7,500 flight hours, and had flown for Helios for five years. So the plane arrives in Larnaca, Cyprus at 1.25 in the morning from London, and the previous flight crew reports that they had an issue with one of the doors of the back of the plane, the right door at the back of the plane. They report that there were strange noises coming from the door, and the door was frozen. So they request that the door receives a full inspection. A ground engineer runs a pressurization leak check on the door, and the plane is given the green light to fly. At 9.07 a.m., Helios Airways Flight 522 takes off from Larnaca International Airport headed towards Athens, Greece for a scheduled flight time of around an hour and 40 minutes. Five minutes into the flight, the plane is climbing in altitude and hits around 12,000 feet when an alarm starts going off in the cockpit. Both pilots notice the alarm and remark that the alarm is a takeoff configuration warning. This doesn't really make sense because the plane's in the sky. A takeoff configuration warning would go off if the plane was on the ground and about to take off, not when it's at 12,000 feet. So the pilots radio to Helios headquarters and say the takeoff configuration warning is on. And then more warning lights come on in the cockpit. And um, one of the warnings was that there was a low air flow to the cooling fans. 
The pilots radio this in as well and say, cooling equipment normal and alternate offline. The pilots are in the cockpit, so they don't know this is happening. But the plane passes 18,000 feet, and all of a sudden, the oxygen mask in the passenger cabin suddenly drop out of the ceiling. Meanwhile, the pilots are on the radio with the Helios engineer that performed the pressurization leak check on the plane earlier that morning. And the engineer asks, can you confirm that the pressurization panel is set to auto? Now, earlier in the morning, the engineer that did the pressurization check had to change a knob on the pressurization panel in the cockpit from auto to manual to do his pressurization check. He received that complaint from the previous flight crew from the London to Cyprus flight where they said, hey, this back door was making weird noises and was frozen. So he's investigating the pressurization of the plane and that back door. In order to perform his check without using the engines or turning on the engines, you have to switch the pressurization knob to manual. Evidently, once he was done with his check, he forgot to switch the knob from manual back to auto. So the plane didn't automatically pressurize as it climbed in altitude because the knob was still set to manual. Apparently, there were three separate occasions during the pre-flight procedures that the pilots overlooked this pressurization setting as well. During the pre-flight check, the after-start check, and the after-takeoff check, the pilots simply overlooked the fact that this knob was still set to manual and not auto. The first alarm they heard, which they thought was a takeoff configuration alarm, was not a takeoff configuration alarm. It was a cabin altitude warning. The plane was saying, hey, dudes, we're at 12,000 feet. We're not pressurizing the plane. You're not going to be able to breathe soon because the oxygen level is getting lower and lower. You should do something. Alarm, alarm, alarm. Additionally, the cockpit warning that the cooling fans had low airflow should have been another indicator that the plane wasn't pressurized because this would happen if there was a decrease in air density due to a lack of pressurization. So the engineer is on the ground in Cyprus and says, can you confirm that the pressurization panel is set to auto? And the captain doesn't respond to this question. Instead, he asks a question of his own. He says, where are my equipment cooling circuit breakers? This is the last communication with Helios Airways Flight 522. Analysts guess that the captain didn't disregard this question from the engineer out of negligence, he was probably already dealing with the effects of hypoxia. Hypoxia is a condition in which oxygen is not being delivered to your brain. The thinner the air you're in, the less oxygen exists. Symptoms of hypoxia include confusion, tunnel vision, hallucinations, and general disorientation, which might explain why the pilots failed to realize what the issue was. At 18,000 feet, you get half the amount of oxygen that you would get if you were standing at sea level on the planet's surface. So at 9.20 a.m., or 13 minutes after takeoff, the plane is way past 18,000 feet. It's at 28,000 feet, and communications with the pilots stop. Both pilots probably passed out from a lack of oxygen, but the plane is on autopilot, and it climbs to 34,000 feet. Air traffic control in Cyprus keeps on trying to reach out to the plane, and they get no response. The plane leaves Cyprus airspace, so air traffic control in Cyprus alerts the air traffic control in Athens that they've lost communication with the plane. Now Helios Airways Flight 522 is just flying to Athens like it typically would, but the plane isn't pressurized, so it's freezing cold inside and there's no oxygen. Oxygen mass dropped down from the ceiling at 18,000 feet, but generally there's about 12 minutes worth of oxygen for passengers if there's a pressurization issue or emergency. 
If you have an issue with pressurization, oxygen masks drop down, and then your pilot will take you down to an altitude where you can breathe. That's the protocol. You don't need more than 12 minutes to drop an altitude where everyone can breathe, and then you decide we're going to make your emergency landing. So at 9.20 a.m., they lose communication with the plane. But for the next hour and 20 minutes, the plane just flies onward to Athens via the autopilot. The plane arrives at 34,000 feet above the Athens airport at 1040. It was scheduled to land at the airport at 1045. It flies a holding pattern above the Athens airport for the next 70 minutes. On the ground in Athens, they don't know what's going on because they can't communicate with the plane. So they scramble two F-16s from the Greek Air Force to go investigate. Maybe at this point they're scared that it's been hijacked or terrorism or something. They don't know. This is 2005, a couple years after 9-11, so terrorism could have been on their mind. At 11.24 a.m., 44 minutes after the plane arrived above Athens, flying this holding pattern at 34,000 feet, the F-16s show up, and they fly alongside the plane, and the pilots of the F-16s take a look inside the plane. They can see that the oxygen masks have deployed in the passenger cabin, and they look in the cockpit, and they see the first officer slumped in his chair. There's no sign of the captain at all. They fly alongside the Helios flight and see no signs of terrorism and just coast with the plane for about 25 minutes. But 11.49, at 11.49, they notice a person enter the cockpit. A flight attendant named Andreas Prodromus, a 25-year-old from Cyprus, found a portable supply of oxygen so he could breathe. He entered a security code which allowed him into the cockpit, and he sits down in the captain's seat. He briefly waves to the pilots in the F-16s, but one minute after he arrives in the cockpit, the plane's left engine goes out. The plane is running out of fuel. The left engine stops running at 11.50 a.m. Suddenly, the plane begins to descend. Andreas picks up the radio and tries to call in a mayday, but unbeknownst to him, the flight's radio is still set to Cyprus. And the plane's out of range with Cyprus, so they're above Athens now. So he's trying to communicate via radio, but nobody can hear him. On the cockpit voice recorder, they heard him call in a mayday several times. Ten minutes after the left engine goes out, the right engine goes out. The plane has completely run out of fuel at 12 p.m. noon. Over the next four minutes, the plane falls in altitude, eventually crashing in the hills of Grammatica, which is a town 25 miles outside of Athens. All 121 human beings on board were killed. So as we do with all plane incidents, it's time to evaluate what was the cause. What do you guys think? Wow. I mean, as, as far as the actual cause goes, it seems very obviously that it was that switching from auto to manual and leaving in the manual. So mm-hmm. because of the fact that the plane, the cabin didn't pressurize properly, the, the, the pilots went unconscious. I'm guessing the passengers yeah. all went unconscious. So, I mean, that seems like a kind of an obvious one to me. Uh, to me yeah, yeah, no, I think you've nailed the nail on the head. But I feel like there is also just several steps that could have, you know, been taken to fix the problem first obviously the engineer forgot to switch the knob from manual to auto after his pressurization check next you got the pilots the pilots neglected to catch the mistake in their three flight checks they skirted or overlooked their responsibilities and it kind of cost them with their lives Uh, another thing is that the alarm for the cabin altitude warning the sound of it is the same as the takeoff configuration warning Hmm. They're, the pilots misinterpreted this alarm. So, you know, this is a great example of what do we do with info like this? We analyze, 
crashes and we make existing planes safer. So we know that the pilots were confused by this alarm and Boeing has changed their planes now. So cabin altitude has its own warning light and its own sounding alarm. There's also now a warning light if pressurization is set to manual. So we learned what happened in this accident and it was painful, but now we all fly safer because of it. I had uh, one question that occurred to me is um, I've heard of this happening before where uh, there's an issue with a plane and they scramble um, F-16s or something like that. And let's say that a plane is over an urban area and they've determined that um, the the pilots are incapacitated or unconscious. Mm-hmm. Do you happen to know what, what would be the protocol at that point? I don't know. I think they would have to make a judgment call. I think that when they sent up these F-16s, they probably had in their mind that this could be this plane's continuing to fly and they're not responding to our radio signals, so maybe it's been hijacked. I think that was one reason that they sent up the F-16s in addition to their speed. They were like, if there is an issue and these guys are planning on, we can see something's going on and um, these guys are going to fly this plane into you know, Athens, downtown Athens, that maybe we, that's an option to us is to shoot it down. So. Yeah. That's what I'm wondering is like, let's say that it even was a case where it was just totally no terrorism whatsoever, but the the pilots were unconscious and it was obvious that this plane had no pilot. Mm-hmm. Would they then, uh, have the responsibility to pick a good place to shoot it down? Where maybe. The least amount of I mean, I bet there's be probably conspiracy theories out there about this particular plane. That maybe that is what happened, but it doesn't seem to be the official story. Yeah. So, analysts have said that even if they could communicate with this flight attendant, Andreas, even though he had some flight experience, he wouldn't have been able to land the plane because it was too complicated of a um, task for him to complete. During the 10 weeks prior to the crash, the plane's environmental system that controls the air conditioner and pressurization was repaired or inspected seven times. Passengers frequently complained of being cold on this plane, and in December of 2004, on a flight from Warsaw, the plane lost cabin pressure and had to make an emergency descent. So the plane seems to have had an an issue with cabin pressurization in the past. Afterwards, a number of Helios Airways employees were charged with manslaughter and put on trial in Cyprus and Greece. The Cyprus trial was first, and the defendants were acquitted of all charges. After that trial, the same defendants, plus a chief engineer, were put on trial in Greece, where they were found guilty and sentenced to 10 years in jail. The defendants appealed the decision to the Athens High Court, where their sentence was upheld, but they were given an option to pay a 75,000 euro fine instead of dealing with their 10-year sentence. Wow. So, and that, that's, is, is that the... Uh, uh, the ground crew, the maintenance crew? I think it was the uh, CEO of the company and a couple other people that were in charge of safety. I don't know that it was exactly that ground crew person. You know, I would have to think that the man that left the switch to manual over auto would have been one of them. I'm not people. sure that he was one of them. I know the chief engineer, the second round, was on trial. It seems but to me, I, though, that the, uh, as things become more and more automated, these problems will go away. Like, yeah. Well, we did with each problem, we learn plane? more, you know. Yeah. That was one thought that I had with this plane was how come uh, oxygen masks drop in the passenger cabin, but they don't drop for the 
pilots, you know? Yeah. How come there isn't just a sensor in the cockpit that is your oxygen sensor that tells you how much oxygen's in the plane? Yeah. And how come as you're climbing, uh, if the cabin isn't pressurized, it just doesn't automatically pressurize? There's no chance that you don't need it to pressurize. It's 100% sure Mm -hmm. that as you climb this plane, you need it to be pressurized and the people on it need to breathe. There's zero percent chance that it's cool leave it unpressurized right mm-hmm. like you would think that in a you modern need oxygen plane with, to breathe and yeah. all these planes are always going to thirty-five thousand feet and you can't breathe in thirty-five thousand feet so you need it to be pressurized i yeah. guess that they're saying boeing just didn't think it would, it would like we had an alarm going off we thought the other thing that what we always do here is like monday morning quarterbacking oh these guys should have done this they should have done that it's really easy for us these guys probably heard this alarm going off, and they didn't realize that they're already just dealing with hypoxia. They already just don't have their brain working right. They're hallucinating. They have tunnel vision. They're confused. They say, oh, a takeoff configuration warning light's going on when they're 12,000 feet in the sky, which didn't make sense. And it's almost like you know they acknowledged they said it in a kind of an affirmative way, oh, the takeoff configuration thing. But it was because they didn't have oxygen. But un- it's unfortunate that this accident occurred, but because this accident occurred, it was yet another opportunity for us to be like, oh, you know what we need in every Boeing 737? We need a warning light if this pressurization is set to manual, and we need a different sounding alarm if oxygen is low. If there's a cabin altitude warning, we need that to have its own distinct sound and its own distinct warning light. So the accident was too much to bear for Helios as well. Helios was a small company. They only had three planes, three Boeing 737s. After the accident, they performed safety checks on the remaining planes and resumed operations two weeks later. But the company only went on to exist for another year before ceasing operations on October 31st, 2006. This Helios flight isn't the first time pilots have forgot to pressurize a cabin. Just recently, in September 2018, a Jet Airways flight from Mumbai to Jaipur had to return to Mumbai due to pressurization issues in the cabin. During a climb, crew forgot to switch the auto switch to pressurize the cabin, causing oxygen mass to be deployed. About 30 passengers of the 166 on board were bleeding from their noses, some from their ears, 10 were hospitalized, while remaining passengers were checked out by doctors at the airport. The pilots have been suspended pending an investigation based on the uh, preliminary information the Aircraft Accident Bureau has said that they believe this was a case of negligence. If we look at the more current 737 MAX 8 incidents or even the Helios flight from 2005, it seems that this human reliance on automated systems has played a role in all these accidents. With the 737 MAX 8, there seems to be an issue with the anti-stalling program. With the Helios flight, the pilots were depending on the plane to automatically pressurize and didn't have to, they didn't expect to have to do it themselves or even check it. So without question, as the aviation industry has embraced autopilot, the number of plane accidents has gone down because there's less human error. But there's another side to that coin that now pilots aren't as experienced at flying as they once were. Now they oversee flight systems on a screen most of the flight and don't actually engage and a lot of manual flying of planes. I thought we could discuss, even beyond the world of aviation, how human reliance on computers has yielded both good results and had some unintended consequences as well. 
Do examples like the Helios flight or Ethiopian Airlines flight point to a larger issue of pilots becoming too dependent on computers to do the work for them? Is automation impacting pilot awareness? What do you guys think? Uh, well, it's a question I really haven't considered until you just asked it now, but it would seem like, yeah, with every new innovation, there's going to be new problems. And I suspect that we as a society are going to be encountering a lot more of this. Um, uh, I don't know if you know who Andrew Yang is, but uh, he's mm-hmm. a presidential candidate, and he talks about the fact that our entire trucking fleet is going to be automated within 10 years, mm-hmm. that every truck on the road is going to be driven by a computer, and the humans are going to be taken out of the out of the mix. So I imagine we're probably going to encounter a number of problems that maybe are anticipated, some probably not anticipated, yeah. as we take more and more humans out of the uh, out of this out of the out of the mix. It seems like we decided, you know, that. Air travel is dangerous, that we, can, we need to make this as safe as possible. So we added automation to air travel, and it's become safer. Um, but there must be other industries, too, that are going to fall by the wayside uh, as we embrace automation. And maybe they're dangerous industries. Some of the ones I was thinking of were like roofing. The other day, I saw some guy <laughs> changing the, uh, what do you call them? shingles on top of my neighbor's house and he was just like dangling over you know four-story roof and i'm like i wonder if someday they're gonna have some way that we can just send a machine up there and change these shingles and this guy doesn't have to you know go stand on five-story buildings and look over the side it seems like a dangerous thing i thought construction of high-rise buildings mining anything where there's a saw involved wood saws lumber men that seems like that is danger a dangerous occupation and maybe by embracing having computers cut up that wood or cut down trees maybe maybe we'll uh be able to do something for a living that's safer than that i wonder if they'll have automated comedians and automated rock and roll stars uh definitely and (laughs) the world will be better because of it well sheldon you're a music producer uh obviously the digital age and you could say auto tune and automation and mixing has you know affected the world of music would you say that auto things like auto tune and things like mixing by automation has hurt helped or just changed the art well automation for mixing has been around for a long time even back with tape machines you know back in, in the they had automated consoles yeah um, uh, no, I think I think they're great tools. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's how you use them. You can you can overuse them and abuse them, but uh, yeah, I feel like the only time I've liked auto tune is when somebody like turns it all the way to, to the point that it sounds like an effect. It sounds like a ridiculous robotic voice, and that's not even my kind of music. But then I'm like, okay, I could see actually using that because I feel like what you like in music is the sincerity of someone's voice yeah, I, I, and to be able to tell that they put in a ton of work so they could sing really well. So if you, I feel like times that I hear a normal voice that's been auto-tuned, it just sounds uh, f- fake and just unrelatable to me. I almost never use auto-tune. So. You're a good man. Thank you. I've got a non-autotune using medallion hanging from something. I don't know. We'll make up something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you guys think about automated systems coming to automobiles? Are you guys for it? Are you excited for the time that you hop in your car and you no longer have to drive and no one else around you is driving? No. 
Really? Oh, I'm very much excited for that. I think that sounds great. I, I think don't it'll like be more efficient much anyway. I think uh, so. if you have like an hour commute every day, wouldn't it be sweet if you didn't have to do anything? You didn't have to stress yourself out. You could just pull mm-hmm. down the sheets, and you know there'd be little screens on your windshield instead of seeing the outside. It'll be just like a portable apartment. Yeah, you can watch a movie. You can take a nap. You sure. can. You're just in this portable home, yeah. basically. But it, I think it cars is, will go yeah. from something that you have to be active, involved, and you know stepping on the gas and breaking and being stressed out when someone else is doing something. Instead, you can just pull down screens over the windows and you'll just be in your little portable home until you get to wherever you're at. Yeah. It's also probably not realistic that we all get to have these little portable apartments, as you call it, that mm-hmm. at some point uh, we're pro- it probably make, would make more sense that we should the public transportation should become more reliable and more efficient and, and get you to more places. I don't know that it's it's feasible that all um, all the people on the planet Earth have a little portable apartment that they can drive on the roads with. It seems like at some point, uh, it it's it's not going to work out. Yeah, it's just too many people on the roads. I get motion sickness, so yeah, I'm, I'm quickly losing my fire for the being in a car all the time. Yeah, I'm happy to walk. I like fresh air. I like trains. What about being What about being beamed up? Like Scotty. So maybe, yeah, maybe eventually just transportation will just be something of the past. No one be like, oh, yeah, remember the antiquated days where you had to get in a car that had four wheels and burn fossil fuels in order to power yourself somewhere? Now you're just going to be just instantaneously beamed somewhere. Or it just becomes very localized. People stop traveling so far, just like the old days. Just become very localized little communities that you don't travel outside of. Who's to say? I don't know. Yeah. The world is. It in seems flux, like that's let's look sure. at the history of humanity. When you say over the history of humanity, people have gotten to other places quicker. That's the trend. Mm-hmm. That's just going to continue. You'd imagine that. Well, you know, talk to Elon Musk in the Hyperloop. It's an yeah. interesting idea. I'd be curious if it, they could make it work. Anyway, I can get to LAX in like 15 minutes and not have to sit in traffic. Well, the Hyperloop, I'm, I'm not mistaken, isn't it LA to New York in like two and a half hours, three hours? Something I like have that? no idea. That's what they're talking about. I have no idea. I know that they have like two major major projects right now. One's from like downtown Chicago to O'Hare and another one's from like Maryland to Washington, D.C. And those are actually happening right now. Well, Everything else seems kind of theoretical. Well, that's going to conclude today's episode of the Plane Crash Podcast. As always, I'd like to thank our guests, Michael Regilio and Sheldon Gomberg, for joining us on the podcast today. I'd like to thank Tess Andrade for her help producing the podcast. And I'd like to thank you, the listener, for spending your time with us. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, TuneIn, anywhere basically where you can listen to a podcast. If you have a moment and want to leave us a review or a rating on iTunes, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you have a question or a correction or suggestion for us, we are on Twitter at Plane Crash Pod. Our Twitter handle is Plane Crash Pod. We're excited to talk with you. I hope you all have a most excellent week. Take care of yourselves and each other. We'll be back next week with another episode. But until then, fly safe out there. Bye bye.